And as they're sliding back, let me encourage you to grab a copy of God's Word or, or turn God's Word on, whether you're using your device, to Hebrews chapter 12. In the Bibles we provide, it'll be page 1008. Page 1008. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, looking at verses 3 through 11. This is the second sermon in our series on parenting, Survive or Thrive, Gospel-Centered Parenting. And, and I've been given the task to share um, about how to thrive through loving discipline. And so I just want to qualify that before we jump in today. I, I acknowledge that I'm only 34 years old. And even though I do have four kids, age nine, seven, four, and three, my oldest is only halfway to 18. And so through practice, you know, I, I want to be cautious. I, I'm still in the process, and I stand up here as a sinner saved by grace, seeking the Spirit of God and wisdom daily how to shepherd and raise my children in the ways of the Lord. So I don't stand here as somebody who has arrived, but I do stand here as one who has the Word of God and who has given us instruction and wisdom. And so that's what I want to do today. I wanted to take us to the Word. And, and I know that sitting here, we have people from children all the way to grandparents. And, and you may even be thinking, man, what relevance, if you're not in this season that I'm in, you're like, what relevance does the does this sermon have on me today? Well, I just encourage you not to check out because I think there's a few reasons. One is, is we're all called to make disciples who make disciples. And so you may not have kids right now, but you may be helping disciple somebody and, and teaching them the truths of God, even though you don't have kids, what God's Word says about parenting. Um, you may want to have kids one day or have kids in the future. Or, man, you, you may just say, you know what? I want to encourage other parents at Redemption Hill. And I want to know biblical principles on discipline so that I can just come along and say, man, keep doing what you're doing. Man, I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you. So don't check out. I really believe that these truths will help us all as a body of Christ. But then personally, I believe there's going to be a number of great takeaways as we look at God's Word. Well, last week, Tanner started it all off by asking us, what are your dreams for your child? When you think about your child at age 25 or 45 or 65, what do you see? Or fill, fill, fill in the blank, I will consider myself a successful parent if my child, what is that for you? What, what's coming to mind? And then last week, as Tanner really challenged us with some um, common notions of successful parenting, he concluded that the single most important issue in your parenting is pointing your children to love the Lord your God with all of their heart, soul, and might. We were in Deuteronomy chapter 6 last week. And in fact, that's God's will for all of us. That we would love him with all we are and then love our neighbor as ourselves. But if you've spent any time around kids, it doesn't take long to see that their hearts don't want to submit to the loving reign of the triune God. Rather, they want to be their own God. Can I get an amen? 
Amen. You've seen that. Okay, you're, you're there with me. Well, I don't think there's anywhere clear else to see this. Then, then let's just take a trip together to the grocery store. Now, I don't know, I'm seeing some smiles here. Maybe you know what I'm talking about because you've done this with your own kids or you've been that person looking at everybody else's kids at the grocery store. Um, I kind of see it personally as a challenge. So I'm like, kids, let's load up and we're heading to the store. And you pull up and you know what? I think some of these stores are just, man, they, they even have parking for like, parents with little kids. So it's like they're inviting you into this evilness that happens. And so you pull, you pull up, you open the doors, you hop out. And before you even get in the grocery store, there's a war waging over what carts we're going to use to make our way through this store. Now, usually it's like, I want the race car cart. You know, you, they see it sitting out as you drive up, and they've got their eyes on it, and it's not the blue one. They want the red one, and, and then it's, I want to be the one that controls the will. You guys with me yet? They, they've got a great plan for what this experience is going to be like, and if you've got more than two kids like me, two of the kids get in the cart, and two are just left pouting the rest of the way through the store or hanging on the sides and getting yeah, we'll, we'll just stop there. You haven't even gotten in the store yet. And then you get in the store, and you take your shopping list and your food budget, and it is almost about to explode because you're going through the aisles, and you've got the kids in the cart. You, you picture this? And the hands are like, their goal is to see how many things they can knock off into the floor, and then it's, I want this. So you hear, Lucky Charms. Frosted Flakes, you name it. Hey, can we get Pop-Tarts today? And the list goes on and on and on. And by the time that you've gotten to checkout, your list has been shot, your cart is overflowing, you've already had numerous looks from everybody else in the store like, what are you doing with these kids? If those were my kids, I would be doing fill in the blank. And then you get to checkout. And you are aware of the landmines that await you. You see, here's what they do. At checkout, they place all of the candies at the eye level of people who have no money to buy anything, and yet they can see everything. And so you just get the picture, you're there at checkout, and there's no, you've got to go and it's like, you're there, you're putting your groceries on, and the candies are right here. And they're just like grabbing them left and right. And you're saying, no, put it back, stop, don't touch. And you're trying to get out of there, and the, and the store clerk's like throwing your stuff as fast as you can through to help speed this process along. You say no, and you point to the Lucky Charms and Frosted Flakes that you had already given in, and the bag of chips that they had been eating throughout the store just to you know, console them just to survive. This is the ultimate survival experience. At this point, not only have your kids lost it, so have you. And you know what? You haven't even made it out of the store yet because when you walk out of the store, you've still got to go past the red box with numerous options of, you know, the, the dollar videos that they want to take home that night. And this is just one example. The reality is, is that our kids love themselves, and they have a wonderful plan for their life, and they don't want anybody 
to mess it up. Yet God has given us this great responsibility to raise them to love him supremely with their whole heart. So if we're going to thrive in our parenting, and in particular, how we discipline our kids, we need help, and we need a heavenly, godly example. So this morning, when we turn to Hebrews 12, we are going to gain some principles by looking at how God, as our heavenly Father, disciplines us as his children. And then we're going to apply those to how we are to go about in our own parenting. And so the first truth that I want you to see today is that we should thrive by imitating the Father's heart. Look here with me in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. The Word of God says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not, you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Did you hear that? Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The author of Hebrews is addressing Christians who are suffering and facing earthly trials, and he teaches them that these trials actually testify to the fatherly discipline of God. He calls the believers to run with endurance the race of faith, knowing that God disciplines His children for their good, and this good is their character training and formation into the likeness of Christ. And so as we look at Hebrews 12, I want to just highlight three truths that, man, jump out to us in this text as we apply the Father's heart in our own discipline. And the first one is that God lovingly disciplines His children. Look back at the text with me. You see here in verse 5, Have you not forgotten 
Um, the, have you forgotten the ex- exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You see, God's disciplining of us is not motivated by anger. It is actually motivated by love. And the, the people being addressed here are believers. They're followers of Christ. And when you come to get the gospel, you see that in the gospel, Jesus, through his life, his perfect life, death, and resurrection, he paid the penalty for my sins so that through faith in him, I can be forgiven. On the cross, Jesus removes the barrier between me and God so that I can be reconciled to him, that I can be, have a right relationship with him, that I can be at peace with God and not an enemy. So, so in view of the gospel, as I face things in life, I don't question, man, am I facing this because God is angry at me? Or he is, I, I need to somehow continue to earn his approval? No, we're assured here that, that God's discipline is not motivated by anger, but it is motivated by love. You see in verses 5 through 11 that the word discipline in one form or another shows up at least once in every single one of these verses. And this discipline is the act of providing guidance for responsible living. It involves upbringing, training, and instruction, but specifically in, in this text, he's talking about correction. The focus of this passage is discipline that involves actual punishment. Look at verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. The discipline that's being talked about here is not pleasant. And what does he say here? It's not pleasant. And it actually seems painful. The context is talking about physical pain that they were enduring, the trials that they were going through, and that is God's discipline that he was, that he was giving them. And, and, and notice this as we look at Hebrews 12, 3 through 11, that God is not only motivated by discipline, but that God disciplines all of his children and only his children. Andy Nassily has, has written a great article looking at Hebrews 12 here, and he says this, it's evidence, discipline here, is evidence that you are his child. Discipline is not bad, it's good. It's actually a very bad sign if discipline is absent because it means that love is absent. God disciplines his children because he loves them. And you've got to get that. Our discipline and how we raise up our children, it's not motivated by anger, but it is motivated by love, by compassion. We want to see our children love God with all of their heart. And so it is a courageous act of love when we see them not following God and dishonoring their parents to bring them back what Ted Tripp calls is the circle of safety. Let's continue on. One of the other things that we see in this text is that God disciplines his children for their good. We see that here in verse 10. For they are disciplined 
For they discipline, speaking of earthly fathers, for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. We see here that discipline is not the end. It's not like you've disciplined them and that's it. Man, you've arrived as a parent. Discipline is a means to a greater goal. Let me ask you this. Why does God discipline us? What is the means? What is the greater goal God is after? He wants you and I to be holy. You see that? That we may share in his holiness. Look back at verse 4. In your struggle against sin. You see, the reason discipline exists is because none of us are holy. Now, the only reason God sees me as a saint is because of the righteousness of Christ. But in terms of practical holiness, we are all on this journey of growing and growing and growing into greater maturity in Christ. And so until we become holy, we can expect that God is going to discipline us so that we can be holy. And holiness isn't a bad thing. And actually, holiness is a good thing. You were created in the image of God to love him, to follow him, to obey him, to be holy like he is holy. And discipline helps us to that end. It trains us to be righteous and holy. And because of this goal, he says you should endure. Do you see that here? Look back at the text here with me. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. Discipline isn't something that I'm trying to get away from. Like God stopped the discipline. It's something that we see. If discipline is good and it's motivated by love, we submit to it and we endure it because we see that God is working in us something that could not be accomplished apart from his discipline. Let me ask you, how many of you enjoy suffering? Anybody enjoy suffering? Like, I don't enjoy suffering any more than you do. But you know what? As I look back at my life, it has been through suffering that God has formed character and holiness in me. And I thank God for that. It is loving that God allowed me to endure suffering that he could produce in me the righteousness of Christ. So even though God's discipline is for our good, we, it is unpleasant and it is unpainful. Nasally continues and he says, experiencing it is not like opening birthday presents or eating ice cream. You don't have to endure that. That's not discipline. Discipline's actually something that is not enjoyable. That is unpleasant. So God lovingly disciplines his children. God disciplines his children for their good. And then the third thing we see is that God's discipline is to be imitated by parents. We see this throughout. If God, who is our heavenly father, disciplines us for our good, and we're sitting around and we're trying to figure out how should I go about my disciplining, I would say, God, I want to imitate you. So the way God disciplines us ought to be the way we discipline our children. And so all throughout is the assumption that he's, he, he's looking at how 
Human fathers go about it, but he's also giving us an example to imitate as we go about our own disciplining. So I want to apply these truths to parenting. And there's a a few main takeaways that I want us to see. And the first one is this. I display love for my child by disciplining them even through non-abusive, corrective punishment that doesn't cause bodily harm. You follow me there? If God can allow us to endure unpleasant suffering, then there must be at least some role in parenting for non-abusive, corrective punishment that doesn't cause bodily harm. I know this by going back to the Proverbs. Now, if you would have seen earlier when... When we read of Hebrews 12, um, 5 and 6, this is quoting from the Proverbs. It's quoting from Proverbs chapter 3, which alerts me that the author is going back to Proverbs, and, and the Proverbs are still relevant for us for wisdom as we go about our parenting. And let me give you one of these. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, He who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Now this is the word of God. We've got to wrestle with this. Now I know often when you see that, there's probably a path that our minds tend to go down and we think of all the negative connotations that may come with corrective punishment. But I'm going to address that in a second. But but I want you to come back. Within the context of God who is good and a heavenly father and discipline, I want us to conceive that maybe there is a role for corrective, non-abusive punishment in the home that is for our child's good. Second takeaway in applying to parenting is this, is that my disciplining of my kids is not an end in itself, but a means to a greater goal. What is that greater goal? It's that my kids would love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the Deuteronomy 6.5 that Tanner laid for us last week. That's the goal. And I've been given a responsibility to come along my kids and see them reach that goal. Thus, the primary goal of our parental discipline is to help our kids turn from their sin to know and love God. As we step back for a second, we see that parenting becomes very complicated for two main reasons. One, I'm a sinner. Is anybody in here a sinner? Amen. Hey, we're all sinners. But second, my children are sinners. And so you've got sinners disciplining sinners, and we're both seeking to love God with all of our hearts. And so, a new study that has come out called The Gospel-Centered Parent, they are reflecting on this and may have a great quote that says, the discipline of our children is meant to be done out of love the way God parents us. See Hebrews 12, 6, which we just read. We want to be like that. 
We do want to correct our children because we love them and want what's best for them. But often our selfish desires to be in control, to be respected, or to look good get mixed in with our love. And because our children are selfish too and also want to look good and be in control, our attempts to discipline often result in everyone, parents and children, becoming frustrated and angry. So here's what I want to do and the rest of our time. The rest of our time, I want to look at both of these. The first, how do we thrive by shepherding our child's heart? And then lastly, how do we thrive by inspecting our own hearts? And then we're going to go to the gospel to see the gospel applied to give us a framework for gospel-centered parenting. So the second truth that I want us to see today is that if we're going to thrive, we've got to thrive by shepherding your child's heart. If we were to head to the streets and poll parents with this question, why does your child misbehave? What answers do you think we would get? What's that? Attention. They just want attention. What about this? Man, they did not get much sleep last night, and they are really tired. It's the other girls at school. They lead her astray. His hormones are going crazy. Too many video games. It's all the additives they put in children's food today. Man, he's just hungry. He hasn't had anything to eat today. Man, my child has ADHD. That explains it. They're just being kids. Or, man, it's the parents' fault. That's why they're misbehaving. We could get numerous responses. And there's no denying that all of these may be contributing factors, but they don't get to the heart of the matter. You see, you can give your kids the right amount of sleep, the right food, limit their screen time, and shelter them from all the negative influences in the world and still end up with kids that misbehave. Our kids misbehave because at their core, they are born sinners. David in the Psalms writes this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David thinks of himself as a sinful person from the time of his conception. This is important to see because evil behavior cannot be completely explained through external circumstances. In fact, children and adults, you and me, misbehave because we have selfish and sinful hearts. And this isn't just something you will outgrow one day. The temptation in our parenting is to think, well, they'll just outgrow it one day. I'm just going to hang on. And then one day, they'll stop being all of this. They'll stop misbehaving. They will continue misbehaving. It'll just look differently. Your kids will not outgrow a selfish and sinful heart. You can have a selfish and sinful heart going into the grave at the age of 100. So if our parenting doesn't address the heart... Our kids will not outgrow selfishness, rebellion, and sinfulness. And this is important because there's such temptation in parenting to focus simply on addressing external behavior. 
let's be honest. We all want everybody else to think that our family has it together. So it, we put a huge pressure on kids to look great. Hey, we're going over to so-and-so's house. Man, guys, can you just smile, please? Like button your shirt up and tie your shoes. Or somebody's coming over, hey, let's clean the house up real quick and pretend like nothing ever, you know, our house is always perfect. Or, man, we're headed to church. Guys, get it together. I mean, so much of our parenting is just to impress others. And what we're doing is just, we're just trying to shape external behavior, but doesn't really address the heart. You, uh, we don't have time today, but go to Colossians 2, 20 through 23, and Paul talks about rules. And he says, they rules may appear to change behavior, but they have no power to produce lasting results. I would say most of us probably fear our kids growing up one day to be wicked and rebellious. But I have a greater fear that in the church, we're just raising up hypocritical modern day Pharisees who look really good and have hearts as far away from God as the wicked, rebellious, prodigal son. One of the main opponents of Jesus' day were the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And I've got this on the screen here. If you wanted to turn to Mark 7, you could. But he says this, Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They, they sing great songs. And you know, the church, the temptation is that the church is full of this. We sing great things this morning, but we do really don't believe those in our hearts. They're just words. Oh, it's time to sing, so I'm going to say these words. So a lot of these truths don't just apply to children. They apply to us as we look at, man, how evil we are to even put on shows ourselves to make people think that we got it together. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Elsewhere in Matthew, he gives a whole chapter, and he's just, man, coming at them. Oh, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he gives some imagery here. He says, you are like the outside of the cup is clean, but on the inside... It is full of greed and self-indulgence. Or you're like whitewashed tombs that look great on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead people's bones. In Mark 7, he continues saying this. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. You just heard me list all those external things. Now, I'm not saying they have no influence, but with those external things, they provide the heat, the context, for what's in the heart to come out. You guys follow me? So Jesus continued. He says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Those are all the things we don't want our kids to end up doing. And if we don't address the heart, the root of the matter that's what eventually is going to come 
out. So get this, a couple of implications. Your kids can look great on the outside and still be very far from God. And this is dangerous. A story told by the late Dr. Bill Bright of Canvas Crusade illustrates this perfectly. He says that a mother was driving to school one day and her youngest child was standing in the seat beside her. This must have been before car seats or before, you know, you don't sit in the front seat before a certain age. So just hang, you know, with Dr. Bill Bright here for a second. Realizing the danger, she said to him, sit down, dear. I may have to stop suddenly and you'll be thrown against the windshield. But the boy refused and replied, no, I'm my own king. I'm my God. Don't tell me what to do. That was all what's going on on the inside. The mother insisted, saying, please sit down, dear. I don't want you to get hurt. The boy stubbornly replied, no. Finally, she reached over and pulled him down. He sat there for a moment and then said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You get the point? You see, our goal is not just to create moral kids who don't do the list of things you shouldn't do because they can be moral and headed straight for hell. Just like you and I. You know, just a little sidebar. That may be you here today. You may be thinking, man, I'm just going to add something like church. That's a moral thing. And, And if I'll do that, well then I will earn God's favor. The only way you can be reconciled to God is through the blood of Christ. The only way you can have a heart transformed that produces holiness and righteousness is by Christ and the work of the Spirit when He takes dead sinners and makes them alive. And that happens when you believe and you throw all your works away and you cast yourself on Christ and say, Christ, save me. Forgive me. Be my all. That may be the next step for you today as we plead with our children to come to Christ that He may change their hearts as well. The second implication I want you to see is that if our ultimate goal is to see our kids know and love God, then we must focus our discipline on what keeps them far from God. Their sinful hearts. Paul Tripp calls this the principle of inescapable influence. He says whatever rules the heart will exercise inescapable influence over a person's life and behavior. This is what we read earlier in Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So how do we discipline in a way that shepherds our child's hearts and doesn't produce legalists? I want to give you three levels of parental discipline and instruction gathered out of the Proverbs from an article written by Paul Wegner. He says this, they're really simple. One is, the first level is you teach the guidelines. We teach our kids the Word of God. We teach them what is right. And that's going to be on appropriate age-based level as they're growing and maturing as children. We teach them. This is what it means to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second, 
level is we warn. So we teach, and then we reiterate the guidelines. We warn them of the consequences. And parents, you must always follow through with the warnings. Your kids will learn early on if your warnings, if they really mean it or not. Not only the warnings of Scripture, but as you're calling them to obey. Both of you. You've got to be consistent. And then level three is enforce the guidelines. You see, early on, much of our time with our kids is we're going level one, two, three. Teach, warn, reinforce, and, and enforce. And you feel like you may be doing that all the time. And you may really quickly go from level one teaching to level three enforcing like that. But the goal is that the goal is to spend as little amount of time in level three enforcing as possible. We'd rather spend the time in teaching. You teach, they listen, and they obey. And we want to teach them to obey that way. Obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. Without challenge, without excuse, without delay. It's preparing them for how they are going to one day submit to the authority of King Jesus in their life. So you enforce... And just some practical advice, parents. You must be consistent. Because not only will your children figure out if your warnings really mean it or not, they're also going to learn how does mom do it and how does dad do it. Now I'll also acknowledge that probably in this room as we've got, not everybody is in a, man, with a, with a mom and a dad thriving. Or maybe not everybody's in believing family. I know the challenge is there. But We've got to strive to be consistent. And then in our enforcing, remember, discipline's not the goal. It's the means. We've got to concentrate on the heart. Which means we want to ask some questions in our discipline, like, what did you want? What were you hoping to achieve? And why did you do it? We want our kids to see the what in the framework of the why. Not just, you're getting disciplined because you did this, but we want it because heart-level questions get it. Man, what idols? What were you craving? What were you desiring? What were you hoping? We want them to see that there were things that were driving their behavior at the level of the heart. Concentrate on the heart and then lead your child to Christ. Look, disciplining is the best opportunity to hold out the gospel to your kids. It's easy. I don't have to convince my kids that they're sinners and they want to be their own God and they want to rule the house. They provided me the example and I just say, look, you see what you just did? That There's the evidence that you have a heart that does not fully love God. In your enforcing, there, you, can, you can enforce with a reprimand, with non-corporal punishment. That may be, man, a stern conversation. That may be isolation, like sending them to their room. That may be removing privileges. It may just simply letting them face the natural consequences of their actions. You see, when my kids break something, I don't just go to the store and buy it. I'm going to let them face the consequences of their actions. That's a natural consequences. I mean, if they, they may be late to school, and that may be a consequence that they're going to have 
to face because of that. And so there, there may be a reprimand with non-corporal punishment, but then the, the last step in level three is a reprimand with non-abusive corporal punishment that doesn't cause harm. And let me just say this. This is not the right to unbridled temper. It's not the right to hit your children whenever you wish. This is not venting frustration, anger, or retribution. You follow me there? And it's important. This is non-abusive, and my goal is not to cause harm. But it's not also going and getting ice cream. You follow me there? A great resource in this is a book back here called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp that really gives some practical advice. And, and here are some of the principles that he gives us. He says, look, when you discipline your child this way, look, don't do this in public. Take your child to a private place. Maybe it's the bathroom, maybe it's to their room. Tell them specifically what they've done and failed to do. Make sure they understand that they're being disciplined, not just for general frustration, but they've actually not obeyed. Help them to see that, to get that. Secure an acknowledgement from the child that they understand what they've done. Now, do you see this whole process? Is this something lashing out in anger? No. What you usually hear of in, in anger and wrath is something that's, man, right on the moment. But this is calm. This is, let's go to the restroom, or let's go to your room. Let's explain what has happened. You help them to get that. And then you remind him that the function of spanking is not venting frustration or anger, but to restore him to the place where God has promised blessing. You tell the child how many spanks they're going to receive. Do you know why that's important? I'm not just disciplining however many I feel like they ought to get. We're, I'm telling them this is what it's going to be. They understand that I am in complete control and then after you've spanked, take the child up on your lap, hug him, tell him how much you've loved him, and pray with him or her. Hold out the gospel. The reason that you continue to do this is because you have a heart that is sinful. But the good news is that Jesus came and died for sinners like you and me. Look, it is perfect. They see their sin. You hold out. You, you leave reconciled. You love them. And you care for them. And this must be grace-filled. And I love what Chester and Mole in their book, Family Center Parenting, says, grace doesn't mean no discipline. Instead, it changes the way we discipline. We combine discipline with love and acceptance. We discipline our children and point to the forgiveness one on the cross. We accept our children as they are, but with an agenda for change. So when I discipline my children, I don't hold a grudge against them. I always show acceptance to my child. I don't use bribery to control them. I make sure they know that I love them. I'm not comparing them to my other children. And then get this. When you don't get it right in your discipline, say sorry to your kids. You know what our kids need to see is that mom and dad are sinners just like they are. And we're just sinners that have been saved by the grace of God. And sometimes we blow it. But you know what our hope and rest in is still that the Spirit of God and the grace of God, that He would transform us as parents, that we are continuing to grow as they're growing. So if you blow it with your kids, tell them that. Confess your sin. Ask them to forgive you of your sin. And then both of you go to the cross. That's gospel-centered parenting. Finally, we thrive 
by inspecting our own hearts. Three quick truths. Discipline in a way that teaches your children the gospel, and I've already hit it. My goal is not to get my kids to earn my acceptance. Because you know what? In the way I live my life, I'm not trying to earn God's acceptance. I've already received it in Christ. So make sure when you discipline your kids, it's not like they feel like they've got to keep, because if they feel like they've got to keep earning your acceptance, they're, they're going to be led to anger and bitterness. Second, discipline in a way that expresses faith in the gospel. Does anyone in here feel guilty or a failure in their parenting? I do, sometimes. I'm, I'm, I oftentimes want to just throw my hands and say, man, I have no clue what I am doing. Do you ever sin in your parenting, in your disciplining? Amen? Come on. I'm there. Look, I'm there with you. Your standing before God is not contingent upon how well you parent. Don't try to earn righteousness before God by holding out, God, look at how good of a parent I've been. Your righteousness is solely resting on Jesus Christ. So in view of this, draw near to him today and confess your sin. It may mean your response today is just to confess how you've been parenting in a way that does not display the gospel and the lovingly discipline of God. Look, Jesus is offering to you forgiveness today. He died for that sin. And then second, take an honest look at your parenting and ask God for help. Finally, discipline in a way that expresses constant dependence on God. Even if you perfectly discipline your children with love and always encourage them in the gospel, you would not have the power to transform their hearts. It's tempting to think, if I'll just do this and do this, their hearts are going to be changed. At the end of the day, you can be the best parent, motivated by the gospel, but you can't change your heart. That is the Holy Spirit's job, and only God can do it. So you know what that leads me to do? It leads me to desperate dependence on God. I'm constantly reminded of daily how much wisdom I need from God to help me shepherd my child's heart through every circumstance in life. Today, will you draw near to him? A loving father who cares about you and your kids and ask him to do what only he can do. Ask him for the gospel to change your child's heart and for the gospel to continue to work in your own heart so that you love him with your whole heart as you seek to lead your children to love him. And this is the point. Imitate your heavenly father with loving discipline that shepherds both yours and your child's heart to love him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for Christ and the work of the gospel that's been applied in my own heart. And God, I stand here today in need of further grace. Would you crush my self-dependency and help me to thrust myself into your arms moment by moment that you would grant wisdom and strength and power as I engage in this great and awesome responsibility of evangelizing my own kids 
and seeing them not just become moral beings, but see them to worship you with their whole heart. God, we pray for our kids that are in our classrooms right now. The power of your spirit to save them, to regenerate them, to renew them, to make them alive, to give them a new heart. And God, we ask for your grace in our own hearts to confess our sin to our children, to confess our sin to you, to rest on the righteousness of Christ, to not be discouraged or despairing, but that we would afresh draw near to you and you would provide strength and power to renew us as we leave today eager to make disciples who make disciples, starting first with our kids. And God, I pray for the rest of us today that don't have kids. And and as we're just forming a theology of parenting, God, I pray today that hypocrisy would be crushed. God, I pray today that those that have been putting on a great show and trying to build up a, a list of great works today would come and lay that at your feet and say, Christ is enough. And that you would free them from the bondage of hypocrisy and hearts that are far would draw near to you. God, do that great work.